Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody, welcome. I have been so excited about the innovation that we've been bringing to you in these very short good news segments. Now, when you say spinal muscular dystrophy, how can you imagine good news? Well, there is good news. Uh, I am so thrilled to have Dr. Carnersman and Regina Phillips joining me here today to talk about what has happened what is innovative? What can you smile about today as you take a journey that would be a devastating diagnosis for parents and doctors alike? That's why we have both Dr. Cornersman and Regina joining me here today. Welcome to both of you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Thank um, you. I, I want to start with Regina, if you don't mind, Doctor. Um, I want to start with the words, your child has this. And I want to ask you about the journey, the body, mind, and spirit journey one goes on when you hear a diagnosis. Do you mind sharing that with us, please? Sure. So the word your your child has this is something that I will never forget in my entire life. It was the devastating end to a journey to find out what was wrong and the devastating but hopeful beginning to trying to make things right again. So um, to give you some background, Shane was born in January 2018. And at that time, New Jersey and today as well, there was no newborn screening for SMA. So although he had... Uh, spinal muscular atrophy, SMA, we didn't know it. He was your healthy, happy, strong baby um, until about six months when he started to show symptoms. So we were at a disadvantage in New Jersey. Luckily, Washington has SMA on its newborn screening. Um, So that set us up for a long journey to diagnosis. And um, long may not seem like it, only about four and a half months from the time we first started noticing that He wasn't quite as strong and wasn't quite as mobile. Uh, But over the course of five months and attempting to get a diagnosis and visiting various physicians and therapists, he lost so much of his motor function um, that when I did hear those words, your child has SMA, my first reaction was, is he going to die? And thankfully, the answer to that question was no. There are treatments now. Um, So the good news is that there are treatments and Shane was able to get those treatments. Uh, He originally had spinal injections, which was the only available treatment at that time. And then the amazing gene therapy, Zolgensma Teams Market in May 2019, and Shane was able to get it shortly thereafter in July. So the good news is that Shane is improving. He's getting stronger every day. Uh, The bad news is that he suffered so much and lost so much in the course of trying to get a diagnosis. And we know that if he was diagnosed earlier and treated earlier, um, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation right now. 
Yeah, you know, you really nailed it. I think we're learning so much, uh, Regina, about the idea of early diagnosis and, you know, the technology and the advancements we're now seeing um, are for literally profoundly life-saving. And so that is such an important story. I'm a Jersey girl myself, just want to say. Oh, that's great. Yeah, Plainfield High School. Um, look, Dr. 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 Connorsman, thank you so much for joining me here today. I can only imagine what it's like to be you, right, and be on the forefront of this. Because I, I'm thinking about your journey as a physician and, you know, perhaps watching so many children not be able to save their lives. I mean, what does this innovation, first of all, mean to you? And then what are you in the middle of with this technical advancement? So you are right, um, Dr. Pat, that I have actually seen babies die from this condition when I was in training 10 years ago. And now we have the ability to diagnose these patients as early as possible and get the medication to them as early as possible. And some of these patients don't even have symptoms now if they get treated in a timely fashion. So it has been a remarkable journey, especially since these medications have been approved by the FDA starting four years ago. The the innovation that Regina had mentioned, uh, the medication that her son received called Zolgensma, is a gene therapy that is meant to treat spinal muscular atrophy patients below the age of two. That is the age cutoff for treatment here in the United States. It is remarkable in that it's a one-time medication in, in the patient's lifetime, so single infusion given into the vein, so it's intravenous, and it is meant to replace the gene that the patient is missing. We call that a gene replacement therapy. There are risks after in addition to the benefits for the drug. And so those risks need to be fully discussed with the patient's treating physician prior prior to the injection. And there are ways of actually minimizing those risks. Um, so it has been remarkable to have that medication approved last year. When we look at this, and let's just take a moment if we could, because I think sometimes we get so caught up in talking about things, we forget to give people how they, information on how they can find out more. What's the best website for people to go to, doctor, to find out more? The, one of the best websites to, to visit is curesma.org. That is the website for SMA that is uh, driven by Cure SMA, which is the leading advocacy organization in the United States. You can get information on the actual condition as well as treatment options and whether your particular state is actually doing the newborn screening program. We have learned from the clinical trials that early treatment result in early and, and much better outcomes than treating later in life. Yeah. Uh, I mean, boy, I'll tell you, we're learning a lot about that. Regina, I think you can really talk about this uh, uh, firsthand. For those of you out there, Regina Phillips joining me here today. She is a parent and a parent of a very special and specific child here today. Regina, from your perspective, there are many parents that don't even know what they don't know. 
And I'm sure you know what that feels like. So what are some of the things that you would like to tell parents or grandparents, for that matter, that might be listening or expectant parents? What would you like to say to them would be your top three things they should think about slash do? So that's a really good way to put it. You don't know what you don't know. And particularly with rare disease, uh, often it doesn't show up in your family and you don't know that you're a carrier or you don't know that it's a possibility until unfortunately one of your loved ones gets the disease, uh, which is what happens with, with our son Shane. So um, how would I say the top three things? I would say, one, educate yourself. Gather as much information as you can. Um, about what your state screens for on its newborn screening. It does vary from state to state. Um, talk to your physician about your options with respect to testing and certain signs and symptoms you should look for when it comes to different conditions. Um, two, I would say advocate for yourself and your child. Uh, especially as first-time parents, we have a hard time because we're new to this and we don't know what we're doing half the time, let alone what to look for when it comes to maybe something being wrong. But the bottom line is, you know your child best. So if you feel in your heart that something isn't right, speak up and speak out and ask the questions you need to ask from the professionals in your life. Um, three, for all parents, no matter what you're going through, uh, especially in the rare disease world, never give up. Um, you might not be in a situation that's ideal. You might not be in a situation that you've ever expected to find yourself in. But if you continue to do the first two things, educate yourself, advocate, you can put yourself into a better position and put your child in a better position to thrive. I love it. Educate, advocate, communicate. I'm loving this. Thank (laughs) you. That's a better one. <laughs> I love that. Well, that's that's so important that I, I hope people hear this because we do some things really well, right? Sometimes we do the educate really well. And sometimes we're learning, especially when it comes to health, how to advocate. I think we've got a ways to go, right? But then the idea of communicating like you're doing right here, you and the good doctor is doing right here, that's the piece that doesn't get done very often. Um, Doctor, let me ask you this question from your perspective, where you sit. um, I wonder if you could fill in the blank. I just wish parents would do this one thing more. I wish that parents could actually um, convince their legislators to be able to get this condition on the newborn screen without having too much problems. Mm. This condition is treatable and it is, it has very good, the treatments currently have very good efficacy in terms of how, how much improvement can be achieved. And if we can just get this disease on every state's newborn screening program, it could make a major difference to every patient that's born here on outward. Wow, I love that. That is a very critical part. You know, I want to ask you one other question, if you don't mind, Dr. Doctor, is this question. You're sitting where you sit. You see the advancements. Can you take a look out for me a year from now? What are you most excited about? I am most excited in that if we can get our patients treated, that we may not have to struggle nearly as much with the with these patients who are newborns in, with SMA, they may have a better life than we have ever seen 
in history. So these patients have something to look forward to in terms of their options, and so do their parents. Wow. Thank you so much. Um, Regina, for you, if you had to take a look out for a year, what excites you most as a parent? Uh, What excites me personally as Shane's parent is um, to see him continue to thrive, uh, continue to see him happy, continue to see him get stronger and more independent, which he's doing thanks to not only the treatment, um, but also his extremely hard work that he puts in every day in therapy and just um, day-to-day living activities that require so much effort from him that you'd never even imagine. Um, and as a parent, generally, not just a sheen, I'm really looking forward to there being no more sheens. And what I mean by that is to ensure that newborn screening is happening for SMA in every state and that the the babies with SMA don't slip through the cracks and have to fight for a diagnosis and then have to fight to come back from that diagnosis. I, I hope for a day, again, when, when we don't have those struggles anymore. Yeah, boy, sister, I'm on the same page you are with that. Tell you that right now. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. Last question. I know you've got to run. Uh, this is really, uh, uh, for me, a simple question. I'd love to know from each of you, your personal message, what you'd like to leave people with today. Doctor, why don't you go first and please give them that website again. This is your personal message for folks today. My personal message is for every parent and expected expecting parent to have hope in that these medications can actually save your baby's life. Um, as long as you are advocating for your baby's well-being, that a, a good, well-being, well-meaning physician should be able to implement these drugs and actually have good outcomes. The best website to go to is curesma.org to get more information on the condition as well as treatment options. Thank you. And Regina, what's your personal mes- message for folks today? I think we have to go back to those big three, the educate, the advocate, and the communicate. And if those things can be remembered by the parents listening today, I think that that would help them all a great deal. Well, I want to thank you both for jumping out here today and bringing a very courageous message. And I wish all the best to you and Shane as well. How courageous is this journey for this amazing child to be so strong, to show so much power, And perhaps all of us together can make a powerful change. Thank you. Thank you both. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Dr. Pat. Wow. This is powerful, folks. Please pass the word on. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back. TransformationTalkRadio.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome. So you've always heard me talk about ancestry. And you've heard me talk about how I discovered through ancestry that I actually had relatives uh, in South America and in our family, we didn't know anything about that. But what's the next level for ancestry? It is this, ancestry health. And it's powered by next generation sequencing, which you're gonna hear about today from Dr. Sarah South. So how do we empower each other? How do we empower ourselves to take greater control of our health? Uh, Dr. South, it's so great to have you here. Thank you. And it's so great to hear your story and to know that uh, Ancestry has already played a significant role in helping you know more about yourself. That's awesome. 
Oh, you have no idea. Uh, and, you know, we could do a whole other show on what I discovered about my um, ancestry. But this next level for you and for you all, I should say, this idea of taking greater control of, of our health, I had to get deadly sick to figure that out. Tell us about, from your perspective, why this became a priority for you all and what next generation sequencing is. Yeah, so great questions. I think this is a priority because we want to be in a more proactive and preventative state with our health rather than a reactive state. Mm. And I think genetics can play such a role there when it comes to being proactive about our health because it can identify risks that exist before clinical symptoms present. Sometimes if you wait until you have clinical symptoms, there may be already some damage done that's hard to reverse. But if you know about risk before any damage, then you can do things, screenings to identify things early or even things that are preventative along the lines of diet and modification um, or other medications. And so that's why I think it's really important to not just use DNA as a way to understand your origins, mm -hmm. um, which is great, but I think there's also power there, and which is why we're really excited to bring Ancestry Health to the market so that we can identify uh, inherited risk factors and then uh, enable those customers within the healthcare system to take action um, and do things in a proactive way. You know, we are learning, in my opinion now, not yours, but in my opinion, we are learning about health in real time. What I think we're not learning about and the new T-cell research that's coming out is going to really talk to this. We're not talking about how we can strengthen ourselves, how we can strengthen our body. And sometimes even if you strengthen your body and you strengthen your brain, you also strengthen your mind. And this is something that is so important. But if you don't know what you don't know about yourself, then it's like throwing a dart at a dartboard blindfolded. And so let's talk about what this revelation and this new information for people will provide them with. Yeah, so that's a, a great uh, way to set it up and to think about it, which is that, you know, it's knowledge is power. Knowledge is empowering. And that's what we wanted to focus on is we wanted to talk about uh, conditions in which it's actionable. So, again, we want to be really powered by both a really comprehensive technology, which is what next generation sequencing is. It's just a comprehensive way to look at your DNA. We needed to marry that with the um, the best of the, the science behind the role that genetics plays in health. So we have focused on a set of conditions in which there's a strong genetic component. Now, it's not in completely genetics, but there's a strong genetic component and that there's something that can be done if you know about the risk. So it could be, for example, an increased risk for a cardiomyopathy. That may feel a little scary, but again, if you knew about it, um, then you could talk to your physician about, you know, would a simple echocardiogram, uh, not something that would standardly be ordered, but could be ordered right. if you knew about the risk to identify is there, are there any structural things to be worried about with your heart? And then are there things that you can do to strengthen the heart and to reduce the risk? And the answer to all that is yes, but you've got to know about the risk beforehand. 
Yeah. And, you know, look, you have spent your life. I mean, I was reading a little bit about you, uh, Dr. South. I was reading a little bit about you, and I thought, wow, this is a woman that has been so immersed in this field for such a long time, you know, and study and focus and, you know, your passion about it. Can I ask you this question, especially as it relates to ancestry? How far, in your opinion, how far have we come since the first day that we all saw that first commercial on television about ancestry? How far have we now come to advance the science of what you're talking about? So uh, I've been passionate about genetics my whole life. So um, <laughs> even just as a as a high school student, um, I thought, you know what, this is this is the most interesting thing to me because you know DNA is the building blocks of then how you put a body together and how you understand how it's going to work. And so I always knew that I would have a career uh, in genetics, and I particularly wanted the the career to be the intersection of genetics and medicine because I felt like that's where again things can be proactive and preventative. Um, and how far we've come is just amazing to me. So when I first started to get into this from the more clinical angle, we could just ask really um, very focused questions. You know, and, and again, this will continue to evolve. So I don't want to make it sound like we've arrived. It's always no, going no. to continue to evolve. But that's what's exciting about it is the pace of discovery. Um, and then what I've also seen is just a dramatic change in the access. So um, it, the cost of the technologies has, right. we're talking about, you know, not just a tenfold difference in the cost, but we're talking like a hundredfold difference in the cost of these technologies so that now it is something that we can talk about for the general population and not just the select individual who's already sick, who's already presenting to their doctor. But we can think about it in terms of, because not only do you need the, the knowledge to say that this can be proactive and preventative, but you need the access. And a part of mm -hmm. the access is also then the affordability. And that's really where next generation sequencing comes into play. Is it's just so much more affordable than any previous technology. You know, I want to ask you something. You know, somebody like me who has gone down the path of being really, really sick, I mean, and and learning how to understand the layers of what you're talking about. And here's what I mean by that. The layers are, well, wait a minute. Yes, this is the symptom of illness you have. But, man, we've got to strengthen your adrenals. Boy, we've got to do this with this. Boy, we've got to do this with your bladder. Boy, we've got like that, right? And so my question to you is, uh, having lost one of the members of our group two days ago um, from the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, and it happened really quickly. And the reason I'm bringing it up is, you know, we all wondered what was his system? What was, how strong was his system to go that quickly and go that fast? Now, I want to be very yeah. clear. We are not talking about this being a test for COVID-19. We're talking about how to strengthen and empower ourselves and our body to build up some sort of protection, correct? Yeah, we're talking about um, things that you can do, not only if you do have a genetic risk, but even if we did not find a genetic risk. So mm -hmm. the information is useful from both directions. 
Now, there may be different things that you do, right? If, if you have an increased risk because of genetics, there may be more aggressive things that you do, but you're absolutely right that um, even if you do not have an underlying genetic factor, there are mm-hmm. environmental things, there are things about your nutrition, about your you know general state of health that you can improve upon, um, and then there are regular screenings that um, are already you know your physician will already say you know when was the last time your cholesterol was checked when you know mm. have we looked at your thyroid levels those are all really important too and are also emphasized within this product wow can you please i know we're going to run out of time here can you tell folks how they uh, first of all let me ask you are are these kits available for people now yes so you can go to ancestry.com/health if you're a current Ancestry DNA customer, we may already have stored DNA that you consented to um, from your previous interactions. We can mm-hmm. use that sample with this new technology. Um, or if you're a new customer, then we just ship you a saliva collection device. It's as easy as spitting in a tube and shipping mm-hmm. it back. Um, through the Ancestry.com slash health site, you would activate what we when we say the word activate we just mean you're just going online you're answering mm-hmm. a couple simple questions about your health um, and that's because there's a physician on the the other side of this that's reviewing those and making sure that this is an appropriate test for you and then mm-hmm. um, you receive your results through you'll get an email that notifies you just to log into your secure account you'll learn about the uh, what was found in your DNA um, and you'll learn about the next steps and included in this uh, in this product is access to um, information at the level that you want it. So again, there may be somebody who just can read the information there. They've got it. They're good. They understand what they need to do next. There may be somebody okay. else who says, I need a little bit more information. There's webinars. There's even, for those who have significant risk identified, an ability to do one-on-one chatting with a genetic counselor a healthcare provider who's specialized in helping you understand and know next steps. Wow. And, you know, look, I know we've got a couple of minutes left, but one of the areas that I'm familiar with around this is in the, um, how should I say, the advancement of solutions for cancer. And I think that's probably one of the first times we've talked about genetic connection. But this does this also help assess that as well? Yes, so a couple of the conditions that are part of this uh, offering um, are an increased risk for inherited breast cancer and colon uh-huh. cancer. So those are, mm-hmm. again, not all not all uh, breast cancer and not all colon cancer comes from inherited right. risk, but there yes. is a significant percentage that does, enough that it is worth knowing about. Now, again, doesn't if this test doesn't find a risk, it doesn't mean you're out of the woods right. and you never have to worry about it. But it does mean that um, if this test does find a risk, you'll know mm-hmm. that those mammograms, those colonoscopies, are even more critical for you, um, and uh, you'll be empowered to uh, to be preventative with those conditions. You know, Dr. South, I want to thank you so much. I know you've got to run. Last question. Uh, please provide the website again. I'd love to know your personal message. Thanks. Uh, the website is Ancestry.com slash health. And uh, for me personally, this is all about empowerment. This is all about uh, understanding and then taking action. Thank you for doing what you're doing.
And for all of you out there, let's take a short break. We'll be right back. Hi, everyone. This is Sherry Clark. I'll be sharing stories with you from my own career and experiences, from leading engineering teams for the last 20 years, and also from interactions I have been blessed to have with people I've met from around the world. I want to give you the tools, techniques, strategies, and inspiration so you can be the best you. You can achieve the success you desire, personally and professionally. Being authentic, confident, and empowered are the keys to success and the life that you want. You can have the courage to be seen. Have you ever tried to record a video? Maybe something like five minutes long. And as soon as the red light, you know, show and record starts, you just like forget everything that you were going to say. You just freeze up. Or maybe it takes you like 30 tries. You know, you start and then, ah, I messed up. Let me start again. And you start over and over again. And finally, finally, you have something that you think is, is maybe good enough, but you probably really don't like it that long. I can say I used to have a lot of trouble speaking on, on video. I'd be asked at work to record, you know, short little videos to send messages to, to people, um, you know, in our business at, at different locations, or maybe to, to share my take on a new initiative that we're rolling out that's going to be emailed out. And I just struggled. As soon as that camera, you know, went on, that record light, it's like I just, I couldn't talk. And I'd even try to like write out words and put them close to the camera. And of course that doesn't work because people can see that you're, you're reading it and, and your eyes are following the text and, and the video is uh, still, still not very good. And it doesn't matter if you're trying to record video for things like social media. You know, so many people make it seem so easy. They, they record videos and you're like, I just wish I could look as comfortable on camera as they do. Or you're trying to, to join a um, video for work. It could be like Zoom or we use Teams at work, uh, Skype, WebEx. It doesn't really matter what the technology is. But so many people are uncomfortable with, with going on, on video. And you probably just wish. You, know, you could have the courage to be seen. And that's our topic for today. I'm Sherry Clark, and this is the Courage to Be Seen podcast that – I give you the tools and the techniques. I want to share you stories and strategies so you can have the success that you desire in your life. And being able to speak on video in a confident manner is a skill that you need to, to work on in today's virtual world. That's what everyone is, is doing. We're spending so much more time at home and away from people and speaking on video. And so many people are trying to hide that. They want to leave their webcams off. They, they just don't feel confident showing up on video. And so why does this matter? When you think about video, it allows us to connect in a very different way than we can just on phone. I've been surprised actually, and quite amazed at the connections that I have you know, made around the world or across the country with people that I've actually never met in person, all through speaking on video. And you can't do that by just phone calls. You know, you could have a weekly phone call and yes, you get to know a person, but if you have a weekly video session with somebody, you can really get to know them. It's almost like, you know, you've got to, to see them. And so video is just such an enabler and such a, a big part of our lives that you have to get comfortable uh, speaking on, on video. 
Public speaking is the number one fear of most people. And when you add in video, it just makes it that much worse. In fact, 75% of people say they have speaking anxiety. You know, three out of four people, that is a lot. And that's not talking about, that's just speaking. That has nothing to do with video. It's even, it's even worse. In fact, most people I know wish that there weren't webcams on, on their laptops. They wish it wasn't so easy to be on, on video. They just hate to be on, on video. But this fear of public speaking can actually hurt your wages, they say by 10%. So it's something that you really want to, from a work standpoint, get comfortable speaking, get comfortable speaking on video. I've always said yeah, to all my people that I mentor and I coach that speaking and your communication skills are so critically important. It's something that you can work on forever because you can never really be good enough. You can always get to become a little bit better communicator. So I always emphasize that. And then now when we throw in video, it's just another skill that we, we have to work on. But what most people don't want to hear is actually your, your content is a lot less important than your delivery. In fact, for the opinion that people are gonna make of you, they only spend 7% on your content. You spend so much effort into what you're going to say and practicing that, but you really only get credit 7% on the content. 38% is your voice and 55% is your nonverbal communication. So if you're on the phone, maybe you don't have to worry so much about that nonverbal communication, but when you're on video, that nonverbal communication is just as important as it would be as if you're in person. And so the last statistic you know, that, that I want to, to give you and leave you with is that you're 15% less likely to be promoted to a management position if you struggle with, with public speaking and communication. It's so important. 10% loss in wages, 15% less likely to be promoted. These are statistics that, you know, that I found just to help emphasize how important it is for you to be able to speak and be confident on camera. But why is it so hard? There's actually scientific reasons why it's difficult for us to, to speak on camera. The first of it is we're used to seeing ourselves in a mirror. And so we actually see a reflection of ourselves. We don't really see ourselves, right? And, but we see it so often, that's like the preferred image that we would like to see. If somehow you could have a magic mirror so you didn't see your mirror image, you saw the same image everyone else did. So that way you got used to seeing it we'd actually like our pictures better. In fact, you would rather see yourself in a mirror than a picture, even after that picture has been kind of doctored up and, and Photoshopped to, to look a little bit better, maybe your skin a little bit softer or a few wrinkles gone. But statistically, people actually would rather see the mirror image of, of themselves. <coughs> the other problem is, lenses on, on cameras because they're taking a 3D image and making it into two dimensions, um, they can distort certain um, features in your face. And so sometimes the picture isn't as good, especially if maybe it's a cheap um, phone camera. And granted, the cameras on phones are getting better and better, but you, you just can't have uh, as good as picture when you're trying to take something that is 3D and make it into, into 2D. So a lot of times the pictures aren't as good. The other problem that you have with video, in addition to seeing yourself, you hear yourself. 
and we're not used to listening to ourselves, right? We hear ourselves a version, um, part of it through our mouth and, and some of the sound goes through actually like your bones, some comes through the air into your ears. And that's the version of sound that we hear. But when you actually have a recording of yourself, you're like, ah, that doesn't even sound like me. Unless you hear yourself on being recorded a lot, you're not going to think that that instantly is you. So now you have an image that you really don't like because you'd rather see the mirror image. And then you have sound that doesn't really sound like you. It's no surprise that we don't uh, like the videos that we produce. But I want to give you a story on an experiment they did just to show how important video is. And this will help, you know, reinforce why we need to work on our skills and recording a video. But they did a virtual reality experiment. So they, they placed a person in a room. Well, they did a bunch of people. They placed them in a room one at a time. And they actually did a recording of somebody like rubbing someone's back a little bit, right? And they're sitting there and they're rubbing their back. And then they showed them this recording. But what they did is they, they doctored the, the recording. They actually moved the person, you know, into, in the, in the video, into a different spot inside of the room. And then they played this recording for the person. And then they blindfolded the person and put them back in the room and told them, just by feel, go back to where you were initially when you had your back rubbed. And for the people that in the video, they doctored the video and they moved it, they actually had trouble going back to their original spot. Like in their mind, they were trying to like, wait, the video said I was over here, even though they knew they might've been someplace place different. But that just goes to show you the power of video. And it is, like I said, it's a skill that, that you really want to, to overcome if you're having issues, you know, being fearful, turning that webcam on. We want to get to the point where you're the one encouraging others to have your webcam on. We want you to have the confidence to be seen. So I'm going to go over some, some tools and techniques that you can practice so you can have more confidence on, on video. And one thing I want you to remember is the average person only has an eight second attention span. So especially if you're recording videos that you want to put on like social media or a video blog or to share, you know, what you say initially is so critically important. So keep that in mind. You want to capture someone's attention early on, or they're not even going to watch the rest of the video that you put so much effort into. Now this is still important at work. Like if you're giving a presentation at work, or you're answering a question uh, in a meeting that, yeah, you might get a little bit more than eight seconds because you're supposed, people are supposed to listen to you or you'll have a little bit more time than that. But it's still important to capture people's attention. I mean, I've noticed being sometimes in meetings when you present, you know, that people are distracted and they're working on something. And then if you talk in a way that you capture their attention, they put their pens down. They look away from their computer. They're looking at you. They, they, they're trying to figure out, you know, hey, what are you, what are you saying? And so, so it is important when you think about whenever you're going to be speaking, video or a phone, you want to capture people's attention, you know, right away. So just keep that in mind as we, as we go forward. So the first step that I'm going to, uh, you know, give you or tool or technique to be more confident on camera is to remember that you need to be yourself. Don't try to be someone else. You know, I have to admit, I'm not really a very funny person. 
And if I came on camera and I tried to be extra funny, thinking that's what people wanted to see, it would not come off very natural or authentic. You, you have to be yourself. That doesn't mean that you can't work on things and, and come off and make better videos. That's not what I'm saying, but don't try to be somewhere else just so you have better videos. The second thing to keep in mind is, you know, almost every TV show or movie anymore, it has a blooper reel. We all make mistakes. Sometimes the blooper reel is the best part of a movie. And so you're going to have a, if you're making enough videos, you're going to have a blooper reel too. And that's okay. It's okay to make mistakes. It is okay to, to make and take second shots. Sometimes videos need a little bit of, uh, you know, fixing up uh, or, or retakes and, and, and that's all right too. Not all videos have to be taken in, in one, um, one shot, but just know you, you don't even have to retake if you have a small error. It, people expect it. They expect that you're going to stumble once in a while on, on a word. You can just keep going. Not, it does not have to be, be perfect. Okay, so the next step, if you want to be confident on video, is in advance, take care of the things that you can. You know, things like, let's start with physical appearance, like clothing, hair, makeup. Um, think about it in advance, you know, what you're gonna wear for your video, what you, your hair, your makeup. And that doesn't mean there's only one thing that you should do. I can't tell you what your video should be. It should be appropriate for the video that you're doing. If you're doing a work meeting, and you're gonna attend it from home on the webcam, I would say dress as if you were gonna be attending that meeting in a conference room. You shouldn't wear your pajamas. You should wear appropriate clothes that you would wear, wear for work. But it doesn't always mean all videos, you know, to be confident, you have to be dressed up. So if you're, uh, if you're watching this video on, uh, if you're listening to it on your, your favorite, uh, you know, podcast, um, you won't see this, but if you're watching the video on Facebook or on YouTube, you'll see that today I normally dress up actually for, for these shows because that's what I wear for work. I'm, I'm, I'm normally dressed up, but today I thought I'd wear just a simple black t-shirt kind of to make a point of it doesn't necessarily matter. It's not like, oh, I have to have a blazer on and now I can look like I'm confident in the video. You want to look appropriate for, for what you're doing. You want to be clean and neat, but you want to, um, just make sure it, it matches your topic. If I was gonna do a video on working out, some kind of physical exercise, then it'd be appropriate that I was wearing, you know, clothes to go to the gym. It actually would be inappropriate to have, you know, perfect makeup and hair. It'd almost be better if I did some running and maybe got a little sweaty before you did a workout video, right? So, so make sure whatever you do, it's appropriate to your video, but plan it in advance. What you don't want is you never took got up in the morning and, and took a shower and you are in that meeting at work and, and everyone's like, oh, turn your uh, webcams on. You're like, ah, I didn't even get dressed this morning. I don't want to have my webcam on. So, so take care of those in advance. You know, plan for things like if you're going to be on video, you know, what clothing, what, uh, what hair, makeup, you know, just that physical stamp. Plan it in advance so it's one less thing they have to worry about. And be confident with it. You know, wear clothes that make you feel good. Wear clothes that uh, maybe um, the color schemes are, are good for your camera. 
you don't want to have a lot of wild and crazy patterns if you have um, a background that can't support that. If we have a solid background, you might be able to get away with it. But but just be smart. You know, don't be distracting with with what you wear to the message that you're trying to portray in the video. And if you plan all that in advance, then that's one less thing that you have to be thinking about while you're trying to do your video. The next thing is your background. And I think this is actually the biggest reason why most people don't want to turn their webcams on in meetings is that their house is messy or they just don't have a good place to have their computer at, at work or to do their work. Like if they're at the kitchen table, they're like, I really just don't want people to see my living room or my kitchen in, in the video. Now, luckily uh, these days, things like Teams and Zoom, they actually can change out your background automatically for you. You can also use things like green screens, or if you plan in advance, you know, make sure that uh, the video, the background that you have in your video is appropriate. And then once that's taken care of, it's just one less thing that you have to be worried about while you're doing your video um, and, or doing your presentation, you know, on screen. And then the, the, the last part of the kind of things you can take care of in advance would be just the technology itself, your camera, your microphone, Lighting, lighting's a big one. And the angles of, the, of your camera, so you look the way that you want. If it's too dark or uh, the camera's at a funny angle, you know, you're not gonna take a good video. So, so practice and plan these things out in advance. Um, with, your, with your laptop, if you're using a webcam, maybe the camera's too low and you have to move the whole laptop and put it up on, on like a riser or something so you can have the, the camera at a better, better angle. For yourself so so plan all that in advance practice it with if you need then that way when you're actually doing the recording or you're in that meeting it's just one less thing that you have to worry about the next step is make sure you're ready with what you're going to say you know if you need to research your topic if it's uh some a presentation at work know what you're going to say in advance you can do an outline, you can do notes. There's a lot of different ways that you can kind of plan out your whatever you're going to present, but make sure you, you do that. Now, some people like teleprompters when they're doing video. I don't use one, and so I can't really give you any, uh, in, any suggestions on if they're good or not, but you can have where it'll play the words, you know, um, on a phone or on your computer screen while you're recording the video. And so that's something that you want to try out, you can. Uh, I like to do more of an outline and that way I have some prompts of what I wanna talk about, but I don't actually, you know, I'm not worried about reading word for word from a script. You don't wanna read, you wanna be more natural on, on video. So if you can, try to transition to using more of an outline and some notes rather than a word for word script when you're presenting. And the best way to do that is you need to practice. You want to practice, practice, practice. If you're given a, a talk, like a, a talk that you're going to do multiple times, it you want to just keep practicing it over and over again. An important meeting, you know, I prepare what I say in advance and I practice it. The more you practice it, the more natural it will be, the easier it will be to, to record what you're going to say on, on video. With that, you know, we talked about how you're used to seeing a mirror image of yourself when you look in the mirror. So if what, when you see that yourself on video, and some people get really distracted because uh, most of the 
software out there, you can see at least a small version of yourself. So you can see how you're showing up on camera. And if you're bothered by that, how you look, I would suggest take a lot of pictures of yourself and review them. Get used to looking at yourself in that non-mirror image, in the way that everyone else sees you. And the more you see yourself and you feel natural looking at yourself in that way, then the less likely when you're actually you know, in that meeting, you're not gonna go, oh, I just look awful in this picture. I don't, I don't wanna see myself. And then it distracts from the message that you're trying to get. That's the main thing most of these tools and techniques are. They're about positioning yourself to be most successful. And so take pictures, look at the pictures, get used to seeing yourself uh, in that non-mirror image, just like everyone else does. And so that way, when you see yourself on video, it, uh, your brain will be more used to, to seeing it. And with that, when you're practicing, I would record yourself and listen to yourself talk. That way, that's not a surprise either. You won't be so worried about, oh, that doesn't even sound like me. No, it does sound like you. You just aren't used to hearing yourself. And so, so practice, record yourself, listen to it, watch it. The more you do that, the more when you're actually taking video, it, uh, it'll, it'll just look that much better. The next uh, tool that you really want to pay attention to is, let's say, let's call it your physical presence on camera. It starts with your posture. So you want to make sure you sit, sit up, you have your shoulders back, you know, your head, head is straight and have that confident posture when you're, when you're on camera. If you're slouching, you're going to sound like you're slouching. Some people like to stand when they're presenting. Some people like to sit. I think you can do either. Just make sure that you have, have good posture when you're doing it. It might not seem like or be obvious, but you want to have good posture even with your legs and your feet. If you're doing crazy things with your lower body, even though it's not on camera, it actually does affect your overall posture. So, so I would make sure that you, you have good posture and you're sitting upright. Um, and that way it'll portray more confidence when you're, when you're on camera. When you're watching your videos, look for like nervous ticks that you might do. I used to have one, um, I would play with my bracelet. And a lot of times I would do it off camera. Many times people couldn't, couldn't see it. Um, but sometimes you'd give like little sounds. And, uh, you know, it's something I had to, to get over and, and not do. Um, now, if I can wear a bracelet and I, I don't, you know, over and over again play with it. But I, I would catch myself initially doing that. You might have a, a tick that you, you move your hand a certain way or you're always, you're repetitively doing one thing. Sometimes people like lean their head to one side and they don't, they don't realize realize that. So what I would say is just watch your video and critique yourself. And you're not going to fix them all like overnight, but, but focus on it. And over time you can practice and those, those nervous ticks can go away because you become more uh, aware of them. Now using body language to be more confident on camera, you do want to use some hand gestures but just be careful with them because hand gestures on video actually can look kind of strange. Some of it is the depth perception based on when your where your camera is to, to where your hands are. But if you never move your hands at all when you're, when you're talking, you can come off pretty cold. So the suggestion is use your hands to make a point. Just be careful that you don't use your hands over and over again in the exact same kind of repetitive motion. 
And that, that's where it starts to become annoying and, and starts looking crazy on video. But to move your hands you know, once in a while or use your hands to, to help drive a point on video, just like you would in person, can be very, very useful. You also want to be careful if you have um, a prop. If you have something that you're in your hand and people can see that on video, make sure it makes sense. Like if you're talking about water or hydrating and you have a glass of water, okay, that might that might make sense. But you don't want to bring something onto video, some kind of prop that you're holding just to keep your hands busy, but it really doesn't add to your message or doesn't make sense to, to have, have with you. The next step is make sure you know where you're looking uh, when you're making a video. So the best thing to do is look right at, at the camera. That way people know like they're looking at you when, when they're watching you. Um, what most people do is they look on their computer screen. And if I have a video down here, this would be the natural place that I'd wanna look because it'd be like I'm having a conversation with whoever's ever on, on screen. Now granted, it's difficult to look at the camera. Most people have a real hard time with it. If, if you're one of those people that have a hard time with that, they say, look like two inches above the camera. And that's a good place versus most people are looking down at the computer screen. If you look right above the camera, then you don't have, um, it's not like you're staring at the camera and it's a little bit easier. They even say you could try to, to tape like eyes, like googly eyes on your webcam. That way it's more like you're looking at a face and that can be easier than looking just at a plain, plain camera. One suggestion, which I've never actually tried, but it actually sounds kind of interesting, is to put a mirror behind your webcam. That way you get feedback on your posture, you're, you're looking and getting the same kind of feedback that you are with the, the camera um, on the screen, the, the picture. So you could try that. Like I said, I, I haven't tried it, but it is a, an interesting thing to try. Before you actually start a video, it's good to relax. You know, maybe do a little meditation or yoga um, just make sure you're in a good good spot. Um, you can drink some water. And then right before you, you do your video, it's good to get your energy up. You want to stand kind of in a power pose and, and have that confidence. Maybe do a couple of jumping jacks or, or air squats and get your heart rate up a little bit because you said you, you have eight seconds to, to grab someone's attention. So you want to start the video, you know, powerful. So you could move around a, a little bit. Don't forget to smile when you're when you're doing a video. That uh, it's easy to, to get wrapped up in the message, and especially if you're doing it by yourself in a room and there's not energy to feed on, it's easy to forget to smile. So just relax a little bit, make sure you smile, and uh, and know that you're ahead of most people. Just because you're you're trying to do a video, you know, a lot of people just aren't even willing to take that step and try. So you have to practice. I've been doing videos uh, at work. I do a lot to send out to my team. When I do those quick update videos, I just open my laptop, I record three to five minutes, I save it, and I send it out to the team. I don't even edit it. I don't do retakes. Um, that's great practice to get into. It gets you actually forgetting almost that you can always stop it and start again. And the more you do it, the more confident you become, the easier it is. I hope some of these steps, uh, you know, will allow you to have the confidence that you want to have on, on camera, because it is a skill set you can practice. It's not something that, oh, some people are good on camera and some people aren't. It's something that has to be practiced. And, you know, only 
we can be ourselves by embracing um, who we are. You know, I've I've had to work to have the courage to be seen, and doing that, I've transformed my life. The more courage I have, the more I embrace who I am. The the more my life has uh, just opened up, and and it's been so much more enjoyable. And I'm hoping to share that with you, so you can have the success that you want in in your life. I invite you to check out my website, CourageToBeSeen.com. There you can find out more about me and my, my coaching program. I also invite you to follow me on Facebook or Instagram. I share daily uh, motivational messages there. And uh, if you like this uh, podcast, then make sure you subscribe. So that way you can uh, get updates uh, when the next one comes out. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. <music>